0: This is The Playbook.
1: Good morning, David, and welcome back to the BU Find Happy Podcast. I had such a great time visiting with you last time that I could not wait until we got to visit again.
0: Me either, and thank you so much for having me back. What a huge compliment, and there's no greater topic or subject matter than happiness for me, as you know, being on a mission to empower so many people just to be happy.
1: And it's, and it's a, a changing thing, I think, in the world, um, the, the dynamic world we're living in right now. And so one of the things that we're focused on this season on this podcast is unself-helping. Um, I think sometimes people can get caught in the world of chasing the next self-help deal and never really kind of tuning in and tapping in. And so uh, in what ways do you think that maybe people get stuck in that spiral?
0: Well, I think historically, so many people have always gotten stuck in that cycle, including me. I have garages full. I have an entire storage facility with what's called banker's boxes. I know a lot of the younger people don't know what that is. But basically, a cardboard box that holds all of the self-development from undergrad, to my law school business school to Tony Robbins and Wayne Dyer, Bob Proctor and Mary Morrissey. It didn't matter who it was. Um, And so what I love to do now, and even when I'm on stages, especially larger stages with thousands of people, is I love to simplify it. And when we're looking at unself helping ourselves, uh, what it really comes down to, in my uh, opinion, is understanding what lessons resonate with us. There's so much help out there. Free help, by the way, or intimate uh, group help or even more intimate one-on-one help. Uh, But there's so many different things that can help us. Uh, What I want people to do is to create a system of capturing or uh, repositing lessons that resonate with you. You don't write down everything, definitely don't write down nothing, but just simply every time you hear something that resonates with you, create a system not only to capture that, but also to access it later on, because we have so many searchable platforms that we can simply text, email, take a picture of, whatever it is, and then search it later. What was that about the past and the future? Oh, that's right. The past, we want to be aware of that which we feel guilty about in the future. We want to be aware of that which we're anxious of. Simple lessons like that are great but only if you can access them. And so I want to encourage everyone to continue to help themselves, but don't get inundated into an addictive uh, type of transaction where you're spending (laughs) thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to write down everything or nothing and then not have anything to access later on. It's amazing. I will work a mastermind and ask people who have paid a fortune to be in a mastermind with me. What's your number one takeaway? And the answer is, uh.
1: Uh, and I'm like, oh
0: gosh, I gotta figure this out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I share that same sentiment. And I and I often tell this to clients, like, hey, here's a here's a book recommendation. Take what serves you, leave the rest. And if you walk away with one tidbit that you can apply to your life, then I think you're on a good track. I think, I think we get stuck thinking that, you know, just because somebody's written a book, we have to align with absolutely everything and we have to take everything that they've said. And that's not true.
0: That's such a great point. You know, I have another great takeaway that I recently got because I'm challenged by the fact that, uh, you know, number one, I teach people to be thankful, to say thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up. It's pretty simple. Uh, It takes 0.1 seconds. It's free. And all the greatest thought leaders and all the greatest religious texts and all the greatest authors in the world all agree that gratitude has significant impact in your life. And I was asking myself two things. Number one, why are so many people surprised that it does have that? and they write me these beautiful letters saying, thank you for teaching me thank you. And I'm like, okay, but even more importantly, you know why did, why does everyone including me forget to say thank you? And I can imagine Michaela, you and I are very kind people where we try to be most of the time. and I guarantee that you forgot to say thank you one day and I've forgotten to say thank you one day. And here's the takeaway. Unfor- the simple things to do, are unfortunately simple not to do. Uh, and that that holds a lot rele- of relevancy to what you're teaching here. So I want everyone to realize, yeah, read a whole 8,000 page book or whatever, but the simple things to do are just to remember a couple things, if not just one thing that's gonna change your life. And it could be a simple statement like, thank you. Yeah. And uh, the simple things to do are unfortunately simple not to do.
1: I love that. And, you know, especially in the text and email world, it's so easy to get onto the point and forget to say thank you to the person who just offered that they're doing something for you or that they've done something for you. I mean, I feel like it's just like a bap, bap, bap world. And we forget that extra little bit, those two words that can have so much impact. You're so right. You know, as you were talking, I was reflecting about how I used to live in San Diego. I lived on the beach, walking distance to the beach. And every day I was filled with such gratitude that, you know, people come here for vacation and I get to live here. And I think that um, it's easy to forget to be grateful for what we do have. My dad used to tell me this, this saying, you know, I used to, I used to think I was sad for not having a new pair of shoes until I met a man who had no feet. And, you know, there always is that. And that's such a good point.
0: Yeah, it's so funny that you say that. And we have and we're blessed to have a a home there in South Mission Beach right on the boardwalk. And every time I drive up to it, I say thank you, because I remember as a child playing over the line in South Mission Beach, a softball game that is infamous for the old Mission Beach Athletic Club. And I would look at the houses while I was on the sand, telling myself, wow, imagine someday if I could own a place right there on the boardwalk and the only thing between me and that ocean was sand. And so uh, that is one of the happy places that that I remember. I also saw a movie with Seth Rogen and uh, it really hit home uh, in alignment with your dad's advice. Uh, it was about a time traveling guy and he came back and he was in the closet of whatever relative that he time traveled uh, forward to. And he was from, you know, the 1940s uh, in Germany. And he looked at the closet and he said, what do you need more than one pair of shoes for? You only have two feet.
1: Ah, So good.
0: (laughs) And he was like legitimately surprised.
1: It, It aligns with something else that I that I recently heard that I thought was fascinating. It says, you have two eyes, you have two ears, you have one mouth. So don't spend all your time talking spend your time observing and listening. And I loved that. I was like, wow, that is so profound, you know?
0: Yeah, that's my favorite uh, quote in the world, which I usually close out with, right, is be more interested than interesting. Uh, Uh, And you can be interested with your eyes and your ears and your touch and your smell. Uh, You cannot be interested with your mouth other than to ask a question and then utilize the other sentences Uh, So the only things that apply with your mouth to be interested uh, is obviously to ask questions and learn more, uh, which is a very powerful usage of your one mouth that you have.
1: I love that. Kids do this so well. They're so curious all the time. And they ask so many questions. I love that. And, And they learn so much about the world in such a short amount of time by taking that approach. How great is that? Um, you know, the other thing that we've kind of touched on a little bit is that people seem to get stuck in this idea of people pleasing. and I, I struggle with this because I, I can align with wanting to be a good person and wanting to help others. but I do think we can get stuck in a trap where, you know, we're not really serving ourselves at some point. and and I, and I'm curious how you think about that and what your thoughts are on that.
0: Well, two things. And I think that every day we need to evaluate what we want personally experientially, giving wise and receiving wise. And so without a context of trying or searching for approval of others, instead know what you want personally, experientially giving and receiving wise. Uh, In in that context, you will please a lot of people by knowing what you want, not by knowing what other people want, what's missing or what you don't have. Um, And to that context as well, I utilize a great chain of feeding. Uh, because beyond knowing what you want personally, experientially, giving, receiving wise, most people don't know how to prioritize. And one of the things they don't know how to prioritize is the utilization of being a resource. Uh, in order to be a resource, you have to believe in a source, you have to believe in something bigger than you an omniscient, all powerful, all knowing source that <laughs> loves you more than your mom. So <laughs> you can be a powerful resource. But within the context of that, we want to make sure that we evaluate or prioritize. For example, people in our lives, and so what I utilize to evaluate, aligned with the trajectory of where I think I want to be, is I align with people that feed me the most, and those are the people that I feed. Those are the people that I that that I uh, please as well. So when I look at the chart in a format, of relativity that I know that my wife is very relative to me, my children are very relative to me, the people who participate in the activity I get paid for are relative to me. And there's a lot of people that try to bleed me that aren't relative at all. In fact, the majority of them don't know me and they sit at a base camp below me and they're trying to tell me, either what i can't do or what i should do or they're trying to defer me or deter me from being at a higher base camp with all the people that are most relative to me so uh, i utilize a great chain of feeding and a prioritization process to make sure i'm pleasing those that please me
1: i love that and and i love what you touched on earlier about you know t- touch in with your greater power and make sure it aligns with your entire life mission first and then go from there. I I mean, I think sometimes we do realize that we do forget that there is this component that we can kind of come back to, to really resonate with um, and touch into and say, am I walking in the path that is, that is the path I'm supposed to be walking or the path that serves me most. And I like that so much because I think that is where we get off track. We get into relationships with people that are maybe um, sucking us dry leaders, like you said, and, and they're maybe a little toxic for us. And if we don't have that stronger connection upstairs internally, where, where, wherever it lies, we're we're definitely going to find ourselves down a path that can be pretty dark. Um, One of the things that that I've really struggled with personally is uh, being adventurous or being a risk taker and also knowing what my limits are. And this is a big world that you operate in. How do you encourage people to take risks that are that are going to benefit them, you know, kind of like this no pain, no gain thing, but also to do it wisely.
0: Yeah, well, I utilize what I call a timing and risk tolerance analysis, and that's for everything that we're going to invest our money in, our time in, our attention in, and our intention in. There's five levels of intention that we have to predetermine this timing and risk tolerance. The first is, what is the timing and risk tolerance of my activities, what I'm doing in the trajectory of where I think I want to be. And notice I say where I think I want to be because I am extremely open-minded of changing my mind, uh, determinative upon the different facts of tomorrow. But I also look at what to say uh, in that trajectory as well. So I do a timing and risk tolerance of what I'm saying today. I also do it what I'm thinking today and what I'm believing today and what I'm feeling today. And so if we predetermine our timing and risk tolerance, then it's quite easy to Decide what house to buy, who to marry, what college to go to, uh, what activities to have today with the lenses of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude that provide me more value and provide others more value and give me the positive perspective to find the light, the love, and the lessons via prioritization of what's important to me, what feeds me, what's in the trajectory of where I think I want to be. One of the nuances, though, that is inherent, because I study this a lot, uh, Michaela, and you'll see. Uh, an interesting aspect that most people don't realize when they determine their timing and risk tolerance, and it's called the meaning of the past. Most people don't realize that they're giving the wrong meaning to the inflection points of their past, the defining moments of their past, the void shortages, obstacles, mistakes of their past, the childhood traumas or past lives of their past, whatever it is. I actually take time in predetermining the timing and risk tolerance to make sure that I'm giving a meaning to all of those things in the past aligned with where I think I want to be. I actually met a woman one time. I was speaking at the World Summit for football, uh, soccer here we call it, uh, but football in Europe. And this woman from France said to me as I gave her some branding advice, some marketing advice, uh, she said, well, you know, I don't think I could do that because do you remember, David, the French American War? And I was like, she did not just you did not like I, I get people I get people that bring up like slavery or the Holocaust or like something else. Right. I, I, I get that. The, the Even the Bay of Pigs, maybe you could bring up. But I'm sitting here going do we, how much of an effort do you need to go through? to give meaning to the French-American War that's going to stop you from making a timing and risk tolerance investment into your world summit of football plans uh, (laughs) because of the French American War. But people do this. I know we laugh at it, but it's not so funny when we go back and see people limit themselves because their moms, they got mommy issues or daddy issues or their siblings or, or whatever else. They have an energetic and genetic inheritance of avoidance or interference that's not allowing them to pursue their potential.
1: You're so right. I just did a training with Bessel van der Kolk on the body keeps the score, and he says, you know, he'll have people walk into his office and they want to talk about their trauma, and he says, I don't want to talk about your trauma. What did you do with it that makes you where you are now? And I love that we can put that 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 little marker on it in a in not a good light in a way that doesn't necessarily benefit or help move us forward. I like that that victim mentality kind of stuff, Um, you know. And the other thing that I'm kind of struggling with right now is I I did a I did a risk. Oh, I wanted to say though, quick. I love that you took a format and put it to risk. I love that. I, that's fascinating. That's such a fabulous concept. I didn't even think about doing that. So I've recently taken some business risks. they're 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 playing out pretty well. But I'm also in the go time phase where the fear is starting to kind of come up and I'm starting to feel that, what if it doesn't pan out? What if it doesn't work out? I might, you know, how do you encourage people to like push through this fear that can come up at the 11th hour, especially?
0: Well, number one, I know one thing that I don't know that I, what I don't know. So I live my life the majority of the time in ignorant humility And so I know that things are not going to work out like I plan. They're going to work out better uh, and put me in a better situation than I plan. It's just a matter of time. And so by detaching my emotions through this mindset that I'm being protected and promoted at all time to a better situation, a better place. And so if you take certain things in my business career that are completely unimpressive, like losing over a hundred million dollars, uh, you know, not getting into the college that I wanted to get into, you know, a variety of things that have, you know, girlfriends leaving me, you know, all all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, I had a fiance in law school cheated on me. And uh, (laughs) that was the best thing that ever happened to me as far as relationships go. Now I didn't think so at the time, but holy (laughs) moly, if anyone has ever met my wife and knows the marriage that I have, uh, after 25 years, I think of wow god thank you for the upgrade thank you for protecting and promoting me okay. um and uh you know and i'm always I'm always learning i always got another at bat but yeah look that fear number one can be dissipated or dissolved just by having faith that you're being protected and promoted and not attaching your emotions to an outcome, knowing you're ignorant and humble. You don't know what you don't know, but it's going to be better. Just as long as you do say, think, believe, and feel the best you can. I have three things that will guarantee better and best. Uh, It's doing your best learning lessons and having fun. It is impossible under the context of faith, that if you do your best, learn lessons and have fun, that you're not gonna end up in a better place. It's just a matter of time. Uh, and so I, I live my life that way. Um, and I also practice identifying anxiety or practice identifying guilt or practice identifying other needs of the ego. And so when I do, see time plays an important role in the aspect of practice because I have spent days, weeks, months and years in fear. And a lot of people have, and I've wasted so much time, emotion, value, and money in fear, anxiety, in guilt, resentment, offense, separation, inferiority, superiority, not feeling worthy, whatever it may be. And once I use time as my measure, as my dependent variable, and I started to saying, I'm going to practice identifying when I have anxiety or when I feel guilt, and I'm going to time how long does it take me to get back to center? So instead of resisting it, going over, under it, through it, around it, trying to outlive it, outlie it, manipulate, cheat it, and most of the time deny it, I simply stop, breathe. I remind, remember, and recollect to the source. And when I do that, I get back to center. I remind, remember, and recollect. This is what I want. That's what I don't want. This is what I want. This is who I can help and who can help me. This is how I can get it done. Worrying about it's not gonna help. Being angry about it's not gonna help. Being guilty about it, I'm not gonna help. Now I can prioritize in the trajectory of where I think I wanna be, knowing with faith, I'm gonna end up someone somewhere better, in a better position, a better place with better people. Why? Because I'm doing my best, I'm learning lessons and having fun, and I'm not wasting my time in an ego-based consciousness
1: so incredibly freeing I find these thoughts tend to plague me about two to five o'clock in the morning that tends to be my anxiety session (laughs) and uh you know
0: you need an an unwinding routine I'll teach you that next time I come on I'll teach everyone the unwinding routine so you plateau and grow every morning from two to five uh you don't live that myth of Sisyphus at the bottom of the hill again in anxiety and fear
1: although I do quite a good job of problem solving when you know there's a mission to get back to sleep (laughs) Good, good. Yeah. You know something you said I love, and I and I live by this concept. I reserve the right to change my mind when presented with new information, and I think that's so critical to what you're saying, right? Like, as we're going along, we're we're having these experiences. Put them in the context of time. Identify failures not as failures so much as a learning opportunity, and that you did your best at the time with what you had. That's so powerful, so empowering. Yeah,
0: I think that's a great campaign motto, right? Uh, I reserve the right to change my mind as I gather further information. We need more of our politicians to say that (laughs) as well. Uh, But I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I do want to offer your entire community uh, my book. I would be happy to send my book, sign it, pay for shipping and the book for your community. Uh, They've been so gracious uh, here over these interviews. And they're aligned, obviously, uh, with your mindset, hard set and handset. So if anyone in your community would like me to send them a book, sign it and pay for shipping, just email me directly, david at dmelter.com. I'll be happy to provide that for everyone.
1: David, I love having you on. Thank you so much for coming. And as as always, listeners, we put everything in the show notes. You are a favorite. And I'm so grateful that you came back. So thank you. In your words. Thank you.
0: Thank you. We'll see you soon. Take care.
1: Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Bye team. Bye everyone.